we were having dinner last night, and uh, the guys know every once in a while I got a drop in sugar, and I can get wobbly. I got to watch. So I was telling Myers about it, Chris. And so I uh, got to get some Coca-Cola in me or some candy right away. And after dinner last night, Mike, innocent-looking Mike over there, <clears throat> says quite loudly, a bunch of people around, hey, you want me to get you some Coke? <laughs> and I went like this, okay. It's <laughs> almost an international incident after that. But I'm Peter, I'm a recovered alcoholic. <clears throat> and uh, this is probably the hardest session of the day. Um, because it's like 3 o'clock or 2.30 and you ate lunch and it's late in the afternoon, sitting in the same chair. And uh, so I, um, if you start to meditate while I'm talking, it's okay. And if you need to get up and go have a smoke or walk around, and if you're not out, not to worry about it, um, just uh, feel free and have some fun with this. And uh, we'll try to see where spirit moves us and, and, and get into these guys. are going to do 12 in a little bit. Um, Whenever I get to do these deals, raising the level of awareness is the goal. And I was just telling a gentleman, just kicking some stuff around, sharing experiences, hope, and some truth. Um, but it's about raising the level of awareness. And it can be real easy, because I, I remember sitting in chairs like that and watching some guys do this. And it was about who's right and who's wrong and better than and less than. And that's not the purpose of a weekend like this. I hope you guys didn't get any of that from any of us. Um, it's about the things we see that can be, bet we can do better at. Um, but if I do a fourth step out of the book and you have a, your sponsor, a little different interpretation of it, um, it's a lot. As long as we're not watering down the message. And I, don't, I like to raise a level of awareness and, 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 and the spirit sometimes allows me to push a little bit and knock on a door that hasn't been opened in a while. But it isn't about splitting a room and big bookers against non-big bookers or become warring theologians and I have a better interpretation of the book than you do because then we're back to scratching what we did in the bar. We fight. So it's about having love and tolerance, including for the old-timer who says, don't drink and go to meetings. I'm going to challenge that. I'm going to challenge that all day and all night. But if I start to assassinate his character when he asks me to sponsor him, I can't. So I need to be open to that. And really, as messengers of God, which is we've been given this task, I need to keep that in mind. I'm going to challenge and challenge and challenge if I hear something that contradicts AA, but never assassinate your character or, or put myself up on a pedestal because it's a long way down when you fall. You know? And uh, if I'm up on a pedestal, they also can't reach me too. So it's about really, as we say, getting in the trenches and sharing some information. And maybe I can tell a story uh, better than someone else, but that someone else can put together a conference better than I can. And we all have these tasks and these jobs to do. If you put me in that tape machine, it'll probably catch fire in two minutes. <laughs> because I don't, I don't know what that's all about. But there are some folks who do this and do a great job, and so God gives us tasks to do. Uh, but we can, I can never say, well, I, I'm, I'm better than you because of whether it's my sponsorship lineage or how long I've been in the book or some of the practices I get to do. Because then I'm not a teacher anymore. Then I'm pompous and full of me and my ego is doing all the work. Um, one of the things I've learned, especially going into six and seven, uh, when we get to really 
directly look at what turns out to be our first step for life in six and seven. There's something I learned a long time ago, is that the truth is true until we find out it no longer isn't. So I will honor certain belief systems. I will honor certain things that I do until I found out there's another way. Uh, when the days of Columbus, I mean, they thought the world was flat. And decisions were made based on a flat world. Don't go too far, you'll fall off. So trade and traveling was based on going so far and coming back. And he challenged the contemporaries, like all great teachers will do. They will challenge the contemporaries. The carpenter did it. All great, and a lot of them were, were put to death anyway. But we challenge the status quo. That's what he did. He found out it's not a flat world, it's a round world, and everything changed. The truth is true until we find out it no longer isn't. And when we, we look at steps four and five and we get an idea of where we're falling short, where we've been asleep for so long, we start to wake up. And we need to be awake. And most of us are walking around through life, and civilians too, sound asleep thinking they're awake and making decisions sound asleep. Getting married sound asleep, having children sound asleep, having careers and dying sound asleep. And what the work allows us to do is finally wake up. And waking up is not always pleasant. We get to take stock of me. I get to take stock of me, and it's not about you, even though you did terrible things to me. And when I complete step five, there's a bunch of questions in step five that kind of wrap up the step. And over and over and over again on page 75, Bill is asking, did we leave anything out? He asks it about three or four times, but it's the same question, different words. Did we leave anything out in step five? And when we answer these questions, hey, I've been thorough, I've been honest. Everything that came to me, I gave to a sponsor. Went on paper, I gave to a sponsor. On page 76, it says something pretty neat. If we can answer, and they're referring to the questions on page 75. We can answer the questions on page 75. It says, to our satisfaction. It doesn't say to the sponsor's satisfaction, to the home groups or my therapist or my clinician's satisfaction. It's me and God. To my satisfaction, which means I've had a shift in consciousness and they know it. Know it enough to say, answer to your satisfaction. So when I'm home in that hour after the fifth step, that quiet time, and I'm thanking God from the bottom of my heart that I know him better, and I'm reviewing the, the first five proposals on page 59, the first five steps. And I'm going over everything and I'm having some meditation time, some quiet time, reflection. Hey, I've been as honest as I possibly can. I have not, all the take it to the grave stuff is out. When I hit step six, I'm clear now. And they know that. And they says, this is you and God. It says, if I can answer these questions to my satisfaction, I'd look at step six. And we emphasize willingness as being absolutely required, indispensable. Am I still willing? Now, when I got done with my fifth step, I remember feeling relief and a part of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm part of the, I'm one of the good old boys. I finally fit in to this group that talking about all this stuff. And the fifth step promise that they talk about in step five, I really didn't experience after step five. And some of those things, even though it may be the infancy of the, the growth and the spiritual transformation, it was growth and transformation nonetheless. I was paddling in the water and I, I had to get to be a lifeguard like my sponsor, but we were both in the same water. And I tell that to newcomers. Our book says, I wish I can believe as that man believes. If you're in the water, 
I might be the lifeguard and I'm teaching you how to paddle, but you're in the water, you're on your way. It's when I'm on the side watching everyone, I'm not doing a thing. And my job is to teach you to paddle and then to swim and you get the next guy, he goes in the water and it's repeated and we pass it on. See, So even though I hit step six and it says to my own satisfaction, I may be still new, but the transformation has begun. And somewhere between five and nine, those fifth step promises will materialize for us. We will have a change. So much so they said, listen, you might be at the infancy of this. You might be in the kindergarten level of spiritual development, but we know you're there. So to your own satisfaction, we can look at step six. We emphasize willingness as being absolutely required. A couple of questions. Am I now ready to let God remove from me all the things I admitted are not good for me? I object to these things. They're killing me. Well, the obvious answer is yes, but they knew we might be reluctant on a couple, so what do they say? Can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something, we will not let go. Go back to the boss and say, please take this from me. Pray for willingness to let them go. Because they knew we might be willing, but there may be a couple of things that we're going to leave our claw marks in. They know that. We get that. We're just starting out. And he said, let's go back to God and pray for willingness to let go of these things. Now, one of the assignments I was given by all my teachers is through the fifth step, we took a look at some things that kept popping up, these defects, where I was falling short and sound asleep. Not even aware of it, because defects, it's interesting with defects. We can get so used to walking around with defects, we're not even aware that we have defects that are operating for us and driving us. And this might be the first wake-up call for many of us. So what we did in the fifth step was my sponsor, like I do with men, I start taking little notes as they're reading to me, and I start to see these common defects keep popping up. And I got this stuff in six and seven. And what I was told to do is take a look at the defects. That's what I've acquired. I wasn't born with that. I've acquired this stuff. And some of those defects were just assets run into the wall be, to the extreme, and they become liabilities. Right? I'm a kind person. I can take that and have everyone walk over me. I can be sure in what I'm doing, and I can take that and just be narrow-minded, pompous bulldog. It needs to be tweaked. Assets taken to the extreme. So next to the defects, I was told, write down what the opposite is. Dishonest, honest hate, love, etc., to give me an idea of what I'm looking at. It makes it come alive for me. It becomes three-dimensional. So I look at these questions in six and seven, and yeah, Father, please take this stuff from me, whatever you see fit, because my way doesn't work. And what's left at the defects when we're done with five, my experience has been this. I always use the analogy. It's kind of like when I was a kid, they used to take us to the beach, and we had these little toys, and you and you'd throw all the sand, and most of the sand would fall through, and a little shell would be stuck on top of the screen, and you'd save them. Well, everything has fell through except for a couple of nuggets, and those nuggets are the glaring defects. And they trigger off other defects. And they have friends and relatives, and they all come in, they run my life. And they infect you. And that stuff, if I don't go to God and have God deal with them and work on them, because I can't, they will work on me and deal with me. So in a sense, it's a first step all over again for my life. Because the drink problem is just about removed my, by now. Because it says in step five, the feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. So even though it's about the drink, it isn't. 
It's about the stuff, the stuff under the surface because the symptom's been removed. Now I got this life stuff, how I've been operating. Self-will run riot, defects of character, that's what's left. And when we start to have, when we surrender to God, when I surrender to God this stuff, and God in his time, in his way, starts to remove all these defects of fear driven anyway, we go home. And what I mean by, by that, in spirit, back to purity, honesty, unselfishness, and love with the Oxford group we're talking about, we go home. The spirit is not tainted. The spirit is not sick. The spirit is not broken. I'm broken because my mind has been running my life. And it's a time where I get unhooked from the mind and integrated, locked into spirit. That's what separates me from the crackhead right now using and the drunk on the rear bridge. Same God, same amount of God. One has been integrated, one is self will run riot. So when these defects start to get removed, I start to experience at a great level oneness with God. It's my first step for life. Again, if I don't go to God to deal with those defects, those defects will deal with me. And so what I, was, what I was shown to do, and I do, and it's not a petition to God, but it's a spirit of humility if you think about it. Father, this is what was revealed to me. I'm selfish, self-centered. I've been dishonest. I've been uh, not loyal. I've practiced infidelity. I have all these things going on. I'm fearful. I'm egotistical, prideful, whatever it might be. And I thank you for honest, love, purity, compassion, understanding. It's just a simple offering to God as part of my six-step exercise. Here are my defects. Here's what you gave me. And I just offer, and you're going to do what God's going to do. But it's an offering. Same way if our children come to us and they, 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 they need help with a project, they do everything they can, they turn it over to mom and dad, and we just tweak it for them and make it right. And it's in God's time and in God's power and God's way. And there are going to be things God's going to give us. We're going to say, well, this doesn't make sense. But in God's world, it makes perfect sense. And I just need to wake up some more to see the sense in that. I know that there was a guy, in, he's still there in Staten Island. And he was just a bulldog with people. He sounded opinionated. And he would just come at folks. And he had a whole bunch of men who would go, go at him for sponsorship. And he says, I prayed for the longest time to, God, please make me more quiet, more, 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 more uh, meek. And, and his sponsor says, why? You're telling God what to do. Look at the people you attract who need that type of personality. And perhaps the man who's meek and kind of quiet and even timid wants to be the bulldog. And God says, no, I'm not removing that because you attract that type of person who needs that teacher. It's not for me to decide. It's for God to decide. My job is a spirit of willingness to surrender and offer and let God do what God's got to do. It's my first step for life. We get to go home. Um, I like to share this story because I always talk about experience the death of self before the physical death. And it's a daily dying for successful living. And what this work does is we start to, little by slowly, kill self. Less self, more God. More God, less self. Self's got to go. Self must die. The manifestation of self before God actually calls me home. If anyone's ever experienced the death of self, it feels like you're dying. 
So I'm, I'm going through the work, I don't, I don't know if it was the fourth or fifth time, whatever it was, and it was a Sunday, and I had finished my fifth step, and I'm doing the six-step stuff, and I'm looking at the list of the defects and the opposites, and uh, I make prayer, and I go into meditation. I just got moved into meditation during six and seven, and what came to me was, Father, save me from me. I'm going to take me back to a drink, not you. I'm going to take me back to a drink, not the wife or the girlfriend or circumstances. Me meaning my illness. I'm going to do me in faster than anyone. I'm my biggest threat. My mind is my biggest threat. And I can no longer worship my thinking mind. It's the predator. It's the murderer. Father saved me from me. And what I got out of that was I started to feel literally sick nauseous, weak. I remember feeling like, you know your first day in AA or out of detox and you're, you're shaking. You can feel yourself vibrating. I felt as if I'd never been to an AA meeting in my entire life. Never opened up a book like I just came off a drunk. I was feeling sick. What's interesting, I didn't think about drinking at all, but I was feeling physically really ill and I didn't know what was going on with me. And I'm starting to panic. I'm going, God, please, what's going on with me? I feel like I'm dying, which is what I was going on with me. So I call up my sponsor. I never forget this. And I says, Mark, he says, money, what's up? And I said, uh, I says, I just did the six and seven stuff, and I feel like I'm dying. I don't know what's going on. He said this, sounds like you're having an experience to me, and hung up the phone. <laughs> I thought he needed to go to the work. <laughs> I, well, well, you know, I was, what was that? Okay. I pray some more and I get still. As Sunday rolled on, there were a couple of things that were going on in my home that my old behavior, my sound asleep behavior was demanding I take control of. And now it would have been old behavior. And if we're still doing old behavior, it's not old behavior, it's current behavior, right? But everything in me said, be still. Because if I try to so solve a problem today, it's tomorrow's problem. Right? Can't solve the problem with the same level of consciousness that created it. So God got in the way of that. And it was the beginning of the change. And I was fighting it and I was being still with it. Anyway, it turned out to be great. And by that evening and the next day, I felt as if I had been, as our book says, recreated from the inside out. I never felt so light in my life. Now, here's what went on with Mark's phone call and what was going on with me. And he, we talked about this. I was experiencing what we talk about, which is the goal. We can't plan when it's going to happen. I was experiencing the death of self. That's why the, the after effects of that was free and light and spiritual wings I got. But I had, God had to dismantle what was left. The reason why he said that to me sounds like you're having an experience and hang up the phone because he knew he could not get involved with that. Because if the mind gets involved, my mind gets involved, and we talk away God. We talk away, we try to interpret with the mind, oh, I'm having a spiritual experience, I must be enlightened. No, I'm not, I'm sick again. Same thing when we walk around going, wow, I'm so spiritual. We're so far away from that, it's scary. I'm a humble guy. No, I'm not. I'm an egomaniac just by saying that. Same way when, Sil when Silky walked into the, 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 the hospital room and Bill had that experience, he doesn't say, let me give you a prescription to calm you down. Let's talk about it, Bill. Let's, let's process your feelings right now. He didn't do that. He says, hold on, it's better than what you had, and left him alone. 
with him and God. And Mark knew that. I'm not going to get me and my human power in the middle of this because he knew it was going on. And he left me alone. It was the best thing he did for me. I experienced the death of self. And out of that came a renewal of spirit and less self. That's why it felt so freeing. And when circumstances were put in my life, when, when events were put in my life later that day into the early evening, there was a piece of my mind that says, oh, do what you need to do here. And the Spirit says, you be still. Very often in trying to experience God, we look to do stuff, and sometimes we have to do nothing. We're constantly moved. Gotta, gotta do this, gotta run, read this book, gobble up that book, write more inventory. And God has prepared a banquet, and we're not eating. There's a woman I study, her name is Gangaji, and she talks with her, her teacher, and she says, what's going on? He says, you need to be still. Stop doing everything. He says, I know that, but what do I have to do? <laughs> right? Just be still with breath. And if I can't be still with breath, I need more work. I need more practice in the spiritual peace. So six and seven were, were quite amazing for me. And each time two to work, I do the same exercise. I write down what, what was given to me out of five, a list of defects of character. It's, again, it's not a petition. If I'm not willing, I pray for the willingness to let them go. And God, you do it me as you see fit. And I thank God for the opposites. I've acquired stuff. And we will buy into belief systems. Do you ever notice with certain things like drugs and alcohol, we will do due diligence. Who's got the best stuff? Is it the right amount? Where are they copying? Where do I get bootleg liquor in the project? You do all this due diligence. Some of you drug addicts out there, the first time you learned how to shoot dope, you shut down everything like you were taking a college course. Now, how do we do this? Right? And you were all ears and listening very closely. First time you learned how to make a martini. You're all, how do I do this? You get all the information, writing it down, taking notes. Right? With belief systems that are killing us, or some of the stuff we hear in our rooms that don't work, we buy into it and don't even look into it. Oh, that sounds good. I'll use that. But it doesn't work. No due diligence. No investigation. No nothing. Even when it comes to God, we have every right to question about this power called God. That's how we learn. We have every right to question, who's this man I'm about to ask to sponsor me? So I heard him at a podium one time, sounded good, but who is he? Is there more behind the podium or is it just the podium I'm attracted to? What's going on? We need to seek that stuff out. My whole life is get the quick fix and run with it until I collapse and pick up another one. So I surrendered to God. What's interesting, my practice has been for a while, a daily surrender in my brokenness to God. The spirit is not broken. I've gotten sick or away from the spirit. And any time, and I speak for myself, that I think I got a lock into this because I get to speak a whole bunch and I sponsor men. And I live in all three sides that are trying. I can tell you that anyone who's close to me knows that. My whole life is service professionally and privately. My whole life is service. But anytime because of those things, I think I'm locked into this God thing, I just stepped away. If I, anytime I think I got it together now, and I've certainly got a lot more together than in 1988, but if I walk around saying, I'm good to go, I'm locked in, I'm in serious trouble because my ego is now thinking for me. My mind is, has waken up, or has 
come alive again. It's running the show again. Oh boy. Because now instead of being of service to you, I'm infecting you. And because my mind's in trouble, it's your fault that something went south. It's your fault you don't like me. I did nothing wrong. I'm me. And I'll mask it because we can do that by playing the stage character like this humble servant who really cares about how you're doing. Well, you're just in the way right now. We need to be, I need to be all in on this journey. And six and seven, it's an interesting thing that goes on. We say it's only two paragraphs. How important is it? What would it look like if we pull six and seven out of the 12 steps? It would be a weird kind of deal. Because we come out of five with all this stuff we've learned about, but it's still there. Some of it has, has dissolved, but we're still stuck with stuff. And no six and seven, how can I go out and make amends while I'm carrying defects with me? There needs to be an attempt at the erosion of these defects, an attempt to surrender to God to get him in there. Not, not giving God permission, but the act of surrender that I am broken. It's in black and white. This is what was revealed to me. And to close up, we do a seven-step prayer. Now, if you notice back in three, there is no amen after three. But there is one in seven. Most prayers end with amen. But if they put an amen after three, that means that piece of work is done. And it's the beginning of a whole body of work that's closed in seven. We're getting ready in three to turn everything over and right after that to go in. And I need to go in with God. That's why there's no amen. We open a door and we're going in and God is taking us in. And God is showing us or revealing to us what is wrong, where we're broken. I can't do that alone. I just reinvent myself. And I'll leave the things I think need to stay and remove the things I think need to be removed. And I come out with a lot of knowledge and I become very dangerous. But we go in with God. So there's no uh, amen. And we go in and we look at four and we look at five and we have the six and seven work. Again, the first step for life, the defects of character that are left, the glaring defects, they need to die. And we close it up with the seven-step prayer. Then there's an amen, because after seven, now I'm going out. The searching piece is done. I'm going out and repairing. It's almost as if we go in one person and come out something else. We go in, if you will, without spiritual wings, and we come out soaring with spiritual wings. And it isn't only to make reparation and, rem- and amends to people we've hurt. It's about being an example, a reflection of this power called God in the supermarket, taking a dog for a walk, whatever it is, in all our affairs. I can never be successful at that if I still are driven, if I'm still driven by voices of the past, I can never be present. If I'm still driven by voices of the past, I can never move forward. If I'm still held down with resentments and guilt and remorse about my behavior, how could I possibly be present? How could I possibly move into the world of the spirit? I got a weight on my neck and it's holding me back. I need to get free. So what I do with step seven is I hit my knees and I say, my creator, my God, I'm now willing you should have all of me good and bad. The significance here is it's not me telling God, this is good and that's bad, you do it. I give him this piece of clay and he molds it. What good for me might be bad, but I think is good for me might be bad and vice versa. I'm just surrendering to God. There's humility. 
Here's my mess. I'm asking you fix it. Why? It tells me to be of maximum service to you, God, and those around me. Not to make me some star pupil in AA. It's not even about me anymore. It's about being an effective agent for God and transmitting God's message, not mine. Being of service for God and people around me, not so I can get another talk at a podium or be popular in AA or get a promotion at work. Believe me, I know people who do that. I need to be all in, all in. And ready to take whatever God has me. And sometimes what appears to be adversity is actually a blessing. And what I think might be, oh, I'm great, this worked out. I'm glad I figured this out and got what I wanted. Turns out to be a curse at the end. So my life is none of my business. And I'm again reminded in step seven, Pete, your life is none of your business because I can't even have the, the, the ability to decide what's good and bad for me. This is totally God's deal. And ain't I glad about that? Do you ever do something and... After it's all done, you go, oh, my God, I'm glad I didn't make that call. I'm glad I didn't go there. Something told me to be still. How do you think that's going? What's, what's that about? It's not me and my best thinking. It's God interrupting. Be still. Make the call. Don't make the call. And while, you, while you're going through that, you're like you're vibrating. And then it's all said and then you go, glad I didn't get involved in that. When this stuff starts to happen, we get very present and mindful. It's called presence. The quality of my consciousness at this moment will affect how present I am. And how do I experience presence? It depends on my relationship with God. And how do I have a relationship with God? I need to get me out of the way. How do I do that? Steps one through nine. Always back to the book, always back to the work. And we can go through the steps five times, 10 times, 50 times. The book will always meet us where we are. And it's a constant surrender where I'm sober one year, 20 years. A constant, a daily surrender. My brokenness I offer to God. Most folks, if you give them something broken, they're not going to take it. God takes us in our brokenness and fix us. He loves it. What we forget, what I forgot for so long, is that God is seeking to have a relationship with me, seeking to have a relationship with you. God is begging for a relationship with me and begging for a relationship with you. And every night I come home and God prepares a meal for me, a full meal. And I say, I don't want to eat. And he says, okay. And I come home the next day and he prepares another meal. And I say, I don't want to eat. And he says, it's okay. And he keeps doing this until I sit down and eat at his table. And we keep coming to AA meetings and God prepares a banquet. We say, I'm not going to eat. He says, it's okay. Some of us will bottom out and go very hungry and starve and near death until we say, okay, I'll try the food. And we say, why did I wait so long for? God's begging for a relationship with every one of us. God's pursuing us. Any of us have children, when they get to the teenage years, suddenly parents become a drag, right? And what do I hear it all the time. I wish she or he, my son or daughter, would just talk to me. I'm trying to get involved in their little things to get involved in life. I wish they would talk to me. And parents have broken hearts over this sometimes. God's begging for us to talk to him. Because once we do, we say, why did I wait so long for? I'm getting an abundance of everything. And it's just by the, 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 the byproduct of seeking God is humility. 
Did you ever notice the man or woman of greed wants everything, wants power, money, property, prestige, wants attention, wants it all and gets nothing? And the humble man or woman who seeks nothing gains the world? Did you ever notice you, maybe you work for, for someone who's unbelievably rich and they got that look and they're under pressure and they got, they're got just stuff and the holidays, they're at the office and they're just under it. And you look outside your office building and the guy at the gardener is hosing down and cleaning the shrubbery, making, you know, not a lot of money and he's whistling every day. Goes home to his family for the holidays. His children adore him. What's wrong with that pitch? I thought money buys that stuff. I thought power buys that stuff. I thought property and prestige buys that stuff. No, God gets that for me. I get to look at that in six and seven. As slick as I think I am, about as sharp as a bowling ball. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tough pill to, to swallow. The medicine doesn't taste good, but I know what I get to do this and I get to get free of me. My creator and now willing you shut of all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defective character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Nothing to do with me, just make me an agent for you. Remember, he's the principal where his agents back in step three, right? Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. I need to go do your bidding, which means I'm going to start off with making reconciliation and amends. I need to fix the damage. I need to put back into the universe what I've taken out. I've ripped off people. I've ripped off the universe. I've been a detriment to my family. It's what I've become. I wasn't born that way. It's what I've become, and I need to go fix that. That's how we go home. And as we start to clean up amends, we get freer, and we get lighter, and we go home. All of us at one point sat in mama's lap, and we were the cutest baby on the block. We were perfect. And those of us have children now, we're doing the same thing. Perfect. The kids aren't writing inventory. They don't have a sponsor. All they want is love. They don't care if you shave, don't shave, have a skirt, have pants, if you're heavy, if you're thin, if you're over. They don't care. They just want to feel love. That's all, that's all they want. They want to feel love and safe. Right? And then we land in Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's all about me and how much damage I've caused on my way in. What happened? What happened to us when we were toddlers to when we land in Alcoholics Anonymous and we're criminals? We become that. It's what we become. No one at the core is like that. I don't care what we've done. Because God doesn't create damaged goods. God doesn't create sick. God creates God. And six and seven, I get to look at what I've become, and God's going to take me home and remove it in his time, with his power. We can't work on defects. Oh, I'm working on my defects. Good luck. I'm working on my dishonesty. How's that working for you? You know, I'm working on my greed. I'm working on my lust. Who's working on it when we hear those statements? Me, which means my mind is working on a defect. It's not going to cut it loose. It'll mask it like I'm working on it, but it's not going to let go. It's, my mind does not want to commit suicide. And when I embrace God, my mind and my ego knows it's going to die. 
So it'll fight for its life. So I surrender with this seven-step prayer. But my work is not done because I need to go out. And I have this eight-step list, which says we got most of it when we did inventory in step four. And we get to see my life run on self-will. I just want to share with you a couple of things uh, about some of these defects of character. And I work, I, my sponsor had given me these things off the seven deadly sins with pride. Failure to thank God or express our gratitude adequately. Like I meditate while I'm driving to work. You know, I pray in the car driving to work. Is that thanking God adequately or is it squeezing God in? Right? Take four hours for the shirt and tie four hours for the hair, uh, you know, get all, all the stuff right, make sure the cufflinks are right, shoes are buffed, ready to go, and I'll pray to God in the car. Oh, maybe I should get up a half hour earlier and give attention to the power that's giving me another day, right? Use of uh, holy things for personal advantage, uh, dependence on self rather than God, rejection of God's will in favor of my own interest, right? Um, crediting to ourselves rather than God our talents, abilities, insights, accomplishments, insisting that others conform to our wishes, <laughs> recognizing our leadership, accepting our own estimate of our worth. Let me tell you how great I am. And agree with me, please. I mean, the best way I can describe us as alcoholics is this. Let's not talk about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think of me? You know? Anger is open rebellion against God or our fellow creatures. Anger insists I'm right. It insists. And it goes on and on and on. And this is the residue of step five, what's left over. Because defects are cunning, baffling, and powerful. They'll slip right in and make it look like I'm justified in having this anger. I'm justified in my self-pity. I'm justified in my despair. And despair is just an extreme form of self. I'm completely consumed with me in despair. And it's a roadblock for you getting in and help because I don't want help. I love the despair. I know that sounds crazy. It's a defective character. It's all fueled by fear, but it's extreme form of self. Right? Love the drama that surrounds it. How you doing, Joe? Oh, it's so bad. You don't know what happened now. You know, we all know folks like that. And you present in a big book and they reject it because there's a payoff to this. I have a false sense of self. I'm in despair and the whole, my burning desire, despair. And I'll go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. And whoever wants to hear it, I'm going to give it to you. Oh, my Lord, but get better. That means if I get better, I have to have some responsibility now for my life and my actions. And someone might ask me to sponsor them. I'd rather stay in despair. I can be a loose cannon, irresponsible, and do what I want, and I have an excuse. I'm in despair. I'm sick. Right? I don't want my biography being my destiny. I'm sorry. No more. Right? I need to put that to bed. And I get to do that every time I go through the work. In steps eight and nine, back in three, they talk about any lens. Eight and nine, they talk about twice. They remind us about going to any lens for this spiritual experience. So I have a list of people that I'm currently aware of that I owe amends to. And I make a list of folks or institutions for me the last time through the work was my church and a, and a handful of amends I had to make. And I remember Don P. telling me, you're going to get to a point. We're just going to have maybe one or two amends on a list, if any. And then nowhere going to be in compa They're not going to be able to... 
look like your first time to the work, when you rip people off on the way in here. It might be I missed an appointment. Maybe I spoke a little too harshly to you. And that's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be getting better. So I have this list. And my job, first time to the work, 50 times to the work, is to become willing to make amends to every single person on the list. Drug dealers, gangsters, pimps, prostitutes, whatever it is employers, employees, I need to become willing to hit every single person on that list. Step nine is going to say, don't go because you're going to cause more harm. But I need to pray to God for the willingness to go to everyone. Now, yeah, I had some questions about this, about completing amends. Some people we can't get to yet, or we just can't get to. And I wasn't saying if that's the case, you haven't completed the work. It's my willingness to get to them, my willingness to make amends. I'm trying to find Joe. I don't know where he is, but I'm trying. Consider that the test. And when God puts him in my path, I will. And some people I'll never find, but I'm willing to. When we're working along that level of consciousness, we'll slide into 10. And so I pray for the willingness and off I go and um, just share a couple of amen stories to you. One of them uh, came 17 years into recovery, right? Praying for willingness to meet this person, praying for willingness to meet this person. And uh, 17 years into recovery, I'm doing marketing for a treatment center. I'm in Long Island, New York. I'm Drive from Jersey out to a town called Amityville. Long drive. So I leave extra early because I anticipate about a three or so hour drive in traffic, etc. So I get there for my appointment maybe 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And as it turns out, <coughs> I get there in no time. And my first reaction is I'll go to a local diner, have some coffee, maybe a little something to eat, and go to my apartment. And God says, no, go in now. And I debated but when God speaks, God speaks, and you try to maneuver God, but he ain't maneuverable. And uh, I got my duffel bag, and I went in. And as I'm walking in, who's walking out? This guy I've been looking for for 17 years. And what happened to me was I made out of a treatment center. And while the, 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 the treatment folks were making their way over to that basketball gym I talked about, one time while they were going over there, I went over the wall. I ran away. And he pursued me. Now, I thought I could outrun him. Years later, I found out he was a marathon runner. He could have ran to Montana, right? <laughs> you should have seen this. I'm like half detoxing, trying to run. I mean, it's not good. But um, he's, I remember him telling me, please don't leave. And I cursed him out, really got ugly with him. And um, what happened, he almost lost his job because he was responsible for me. And over the years after I got sober, I called the place and wrote letters, and, and, and they said he's not here, uh, uh, he's busy, he'll get back to it. Just, it wasn't time. My time, God gave me the willingness to go. But the thing about amends is sometimes you're not ready to hear it. I need to be sensitive to that, where I'm ready to come to you and make amends, but I can't reach you because you're not ready to hear from me yet. I need to be respectful. I don't go in like a bulldog and say, I'm here to make amends, and you need to hear it. That's not what this is about. God's timing is perfect. My timing is always wrong. So I need to seek the power. When do I go? Pray for willingness. 17 years later, and here he comes, and I introduced myself to him. He remembered me, and I made the approach. What can I do to make it right? Anything you need to tell me. I told him what I belonged to. And what happened that day? He knew I was sick and suffering. He knew what I was about. 
And he was very happy. I was in the treatment center business and, and, and sober this long. And we shook hands and had a hug. And that was put to bed. The circle around the triangle, the circle representing my life, there's gaps in it when we get here. It's full of resentments and fears and, and the like. And as we clean up the wreckage of our past, it closes. Another piece closes. Another piece closes. That's why when we complete amends and enter the world of the spirit, we feel whole and right. The whole and the soul no longer exist. External conditions are no longer a remedy. We're right with God. The whole is full of God. It's, the circle is complete. <clears throat> Not too long ago, I came out, went to the work recently. And there was a young lady, it was the first love. I was 15, 16 years old, we were going to be married forever and all of that. Her family adored me. And my family adored her. They thought we were like the perfect little couple in the neighborhood. She went on to be valedictorian of an Ivy League school, and she's extremely wealthy, married, and has a few kids, and, and very, very successful. That came to me this time around. On, it never came to me in any inventory I wrote. But this time, I don't know why God moved me there. Because when I write current inventory, it's about current inventory. Things in the past will pop. And her name popped up. And I realized what I had done. First, I remember uh, uh, seeing her father on the Lower East Side of Manhattan and borrowing money off of him and never paying back. And that opened the door. I wasn't uh, honest in my relationship with her towards the end. Um, I was verbally abusive. This Joe Wall American boyfriend she found turned out to be a dirtbag because God, a booze was my God. And I broke her heart, to be quite frank. And she couldn't understand. I remember at the end, she kept saying, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And I showed up on one Easter Sunday to her door, and I beeped her horn. She came down, and I was crying uncontrollably, almost like a nervous breakdown, because I knew my life was in the toilet. That's the last time she saw me. And I was probably maybe 18 at the time. And I got in touch with her. I was real careful how to do this. And she responded back immediately. And uh, she says, can I speak to you? I said, absolutely. And her, one of the first things she said to me, she says, I thought you were dead. My family talks about you a lot. And I remember her cousin, her whole family knew. We always wondered what happened to Peter Marinell. He probably died because he got strung out on, on alcohol and drugs. And they were almost mourning the living. What happened to this guy? And just a phone call enough put some pieces of her life back together, the power of amends, right? And so I went on to make amends for that, and she was, okay, don't worry about it. And as we got to talking, she says, I don't understand this alcohol in this place. She goes, you know nothing about this. And as I described alcoholism to her, she went, oh, my God, my husband's an alcoholic. And she started to share what sounded like an Al-Anon member all the things she was doing to prevent his drinking and how much she was drinking. And we know what goes on. Hiding it and fighting and it goes on and on and on. Can you help him? I said, absolutely. Have him call me. He never called me. And we corresponded a few times. And then we went our own way. It was put back in place. And there's this little website I post once in a while. She'll follow along with that. And I told her how my family's doing. It was put back to bed. I make amends here, and this part of my life clears up. I make amends here, that part of my life clears up. I go from what I know, which is very tangible, what's in front of me, to the world of the unknown, the world of the spirit.
as I slide into step 10. And I can't get that with a, a, a thinking mind. I can only get that with an awakened spirit. I made amends to my family and employers and so on. And the families were the most emotionally tugging because they were there. They were, in, they were involved in a drive-by shooting. My, my big book tells me we feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. So, so many meetings I go to, well, I didn't drink today, I'm a winner. Maybe not. I didn't drink today and that's my amends. Let's ask them. Let's go knock on wifey Pooh's door and say, is it enough he's not drinking? No, he's still a lunatic. I wish he would pick up a drink. You know? Is it enough to my children that I'm not drinking or former employees that I ripped off? No, I need to go back. And the same power, the same power that drove me to drink regardless of the consequences is no longer present. But God's power will move me to go heal and fix. We get great power in Alcoholics Anonymous. We get tremendous, we get God's power in Alcoholics Anonymous to go do things like this and to touch the lives of others and make right. I've been involved in relationships I probably shouldn't have been involved in and took advantage of of women many times and when I was able to go to them because except when to do so would injure them or others but the women I was able to approach I remember being taught this that perhaps I'm the first man in their life to say you don't need to be treated like that by men period and gave them respect back and dignity back all because of God who we are supposed to bring others back to whether in AA or not. We don't know about the power of amends because it's so powerful. We can't comprehend that with a thinking mind, but we can see it in action. You go stop making amends. Forget about how free we get and how right we get, but the effect it has upon other people. We've, I've ripped people off. From Mother Earth to people. I've, I've been, I just ripped people off. I was supposed to be at your house at one. I don't show up. I ripped you off. Verbal abuse, I ripped you off. Physical abuse, I ripped you off. And it goes on and on and on. And a lot of us have that thing, that indiscretion that we need to fix. And to the power of amends, we get to heal that. And it's interesting, when you're really doing amends and you're involved in amends and you're moving and growing in understanding and effectiveness, those defects that we showed up with start to die. In the presence of God, there can be no defect doesn't mean they go away, but I'm in the presence of God. A defect won't exist. It's when I start to go a little sideways, they're waiting. My mind's always thinking. It's addictive. And as long as I'm thinking, there's defects around. So I approach God still with a great sense of urgency and a surrender because I don't want to be in charge of my life. I've said this a million times. I don't have a life. My life belongs to God in Alcoholics Anonymous and then to you. And I get to have a great life. I need six of me to keep up with my day. I get to do things today. And I'm not dragged down anymore. Do I have fear? Yes. Do I second guess? Yes. Do I still feel inadequate and insecure? Yes. Sometimes people call me, hey, Pete, can you speak at this conference? And I'm like, me? There's a million other people you can call. There's so much more quality. You want me to do this? Well, I don't get it. You know, Call Tom to do a big book workshop. Peter Marinelli. I still got that. But I do it for fun and for free. And the life of invitation means God has called and go. 
and I don't question it. Even with things like this, quite frankly, I have notes and things I may want to refer to, but very often I have no clue what I'm going to talk about, and I like it that way. This should be a reflection of what I've done the last six days, the last few months, right? So step one, okay, stop talking about step one. I'll have a couple of things that I may want to refer to depending on what spirit does for me, but I have a clue. Go give a talk, I'm supposed to tell my story. We're going to talk about it. I don't have a clue. I don't even know where I'm starting. My job was going into the bunker, observing fasting, prayer meditation, as I do all the time, and let this be a reflection of what God has done for me and bring you the good news. And talk about the power of amends. Talk about amends with each other. It kicks up all the amends. Oh, I just remember this. Wow, I forgot all about that. And we're in it. We're all in. We need to be journeymen. All in. I like getting around folks who are mad dogs with the book. That doesn't mean if we're around someone who's not in the book, we're going to say, oh, they're not in the book. I can't be bothered with them. No. I'll embrace them too. We're all in the same deal. This is the last house on the block. So I can spend hours and hours and hours in ripping apart Alcoholics Anonymous and telling you what's wrong with it, and now I'm part of the problem too. It's attraction, not promotion. Don P. always said that. Attraction, not promotion. Let's challenge. Let's challenge. Pull the covers off because we love it so much. But let me be there to catch you when I do that. And I better be ready to teach you when I do that because that's what they did for me. Um, just one last amend story. Uh, I wasn't even going to go there. Uh, I'm getting pushed, though. Um, my dad caught my my dad experienced my mom's addiction. And I cannot even fathom what it's like, because I always think of my dad as an older guy. When I was a kid, my dad was like 28, 30 years old. So I look at a 28, 30-year-old kid, kid now. They're a kid to me. Because I'm like the ripe old age of 53. I mean, this, I don't know how this happened, but here I am. AALP letters are coming in the mail now. <laughs> when you said senior citizens eat cheaper, I said, that's me. Look at this. And so my dad would take my mom to psych ward after psych ward, and she had several attempts at suicide. It was, it was just, I can't even imagine having being stuck with three boys. Your wife commits suicide. You're like 30-something. You've got three kids to raise. I just watched my wife disintegrate and kill, us, kill herself after all these years. And how do you, what do you, what do, you do with that? Right? And what he experiences, his oldest son, first born in an Italian family. It's a big deal. The expectations are high. Pope or president for me. I mean, it's, right? And I kind of pick up where she left off. I went right, in the, right in, the, in the toilet right away. And it's like this continued, same movie. Only thing now it's with his son. I'm sure at some point he must have said, what did I do to piss you off? My wife, now my firstborn son, who's now infecting my other children. He had to throw me out. To, he said, I got to throw you out to protect your brothers from you. So I got two other sons afterward. I can't even fathom what that's like for a parent to do. Oh, my God, right? I had to make amends to this guy. I owed him a fortune of money. I ripped off part of his life. Yes, he can never get back because he was chasing me down and taking me to rehab and sleepless nights, and it goes on and on and on. Total couple of cars thought I was dead. You know, uh, came home with a car with bullet holes in it one time. He just, what's going on? Bullet holes in my car. And I said, so what? I'm alive. I'm, I came home. I remember telling him, but I came home. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right, I'm here. 
Um, my sponsor told me, do not go to him yet. You better be walking the walk. It's easy to talk about God, and I'm, I'm enlightened. I'm a guru with 20 minutes sober. No one's going to believe me. You better walk the walk. And you just keep praying for the willingness. And it was the great, great direction from a sponsor. We need to check with our sponsors about amends. Check in with them. Get guidance, because we can do more damage. <clears throat> and I waited, and I walked the walk. And what was going on at work was a lot of guys were telling me, because my dad wouldn't say anything. Guys, longshoremen uh, would come. I was a dock worker, and they would come up to me and say, Kid, your dad is, like, unbelievably proud of you. His chest is out here. When he talks about my son, and my dad referred to it as beating this thing. Because he beat it. My son beat it. This addiction, this alcohol. That's how he didn't know anything about this. And they would tell me, your dad is so proud of you and, and, and just so happy for you. I was walking to work. First to work, last guy to leave work. I had money on the following payday. I was not a headache anymore. I was showing up for family functions. I was part of life at last. But I didn't have to tell anyone, hey, I, I showed up. How's that? You know? Or I bought you lunch. Hey, I bought him lunch. I was just living the life, walking the walk. And um, I sat down with my dad one day because it was time. And um, I said, I need to talk to you about some things. And my dad being my dad, absolutely. And uh, we began to talk, and I approached him. I said, Dad, you know, I go to AA and stuff, and, um, you know, I, I says, I, I've, I've harmed you, and I owe you a fortune of money, and I, and I start to make the amends. And this is what happens. My dad stopped me. And he says, I never forget the words. He says, all I ever wanted was my son back. Right? This tough guy who's not like a, a church guy or knows nothing about therapies, old school, South Brooklyn tough guy. Makes Tony Soprano look like Tinkerbell. Give you an idea. Right? <laughs> he goes on to praise Alcoholics Anonymous. My dad was experiencing healing in the way I was living, and then the direct approach to him, and God gave me the power to do that, to live this life sober, recovered, and then go make the approach. And so all I wanted my, what I ever wanted was my son back and went on to praise Alcoholics Anonymous. Hmm? My, my dad began to heal. Fast forward 25 years later, my dad has disclosed some of his heartaches and some of his pain to me. Understanding I'm still his son and he's still my dad, but trusting me enough with very intimate stuff on what it was like being married to my mom and the heartbreak that he experienced and the fear he had about losing me, and it goes on and on, and we talked. And the same guy that he would walk into a room and I'd run out the back door, as recent as last Saturday evening and Easter Sunday, and all the holidays, all the holy days that have passed, I've gone to my dad's house and we've gone out for dinner, and I walk lightly, and we walk together, because it's been healed. I respect my dad. No one in this whole planet I'd rather be in a foxhole with than this guy because I know one way or the other you're getting out. But I'm not afraid of him. I don't have shame. I've done what's right. God has allowed me to do that. And after the amends, we continue to walk the walk. I continue to be a son. I continue to be honest. I continue to walk with integrity all because of my God. That's my Alcoholics Anonymous 
That's what we get to experience in the sacred rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's way beyond just put the plug in the jug. It's an injustice to God, that whole statement. It shortchanges the great power that God does for us. Again, I said it last night, based on our track records, many of us are not supposed to be sitting here this afternoon, and yet here we are, having fun, kicking it around, kicking some ideas around, talking about God, and going to go home to our families and most of us back to work on Monday and do it all over again. Boy, oh boy, what a life. I'm glad I don't own it. I'm glad it belongs to God. That's all I got. Peace. Peace.